but I always want you to get the big picture, right? It's kind of like getting the map out before you take a trip. Um, I used to drive uh, for Uber and Lyft, do ride share. And <clears throat> when you do that, everything shows up right on the app, right? Um, so, you know, you, you, it dings or pings and it shows you where to go pick up the person. You go pick up the person and then it, you know, lets you know where you're taking them. Well, it's a point, it's point by point directions, but it's always helpful to look at an overview, right? So if, let's say if you didn't know the Metroplex very well and, you know, suddenly uh, you were driving in Dallas and it said you were taking someone to Hearst. Well, if you didn't know where Hearst was, you'd just be kind of going, okay, turn right now. All right, go straight for a while. Okay, turn left now. Okay. And that's, that can be the way the Lord leads us in our daily lives, and that's frustrating. Okay? But we need to get an overview of Scripture uh, that allows us to know, okay, what does this look like? Okay, like looking at the map as a whole. Oh, here I am in Dallas. Now I'm going to go east to the mid-cities, and here's Hurst over here. So here we are in Scripture, and it's helpful for us to know uh, where we are in the context of Paul talking to the Corinthians. So those of you that have been coming for a while uh, are well aware that this is, well, it's called 2 Corinthians, so obviously it's not the first letter that Paul wrote to them. Um, but as I indicated previously several times, this is probably the fourth letter that Paul wrote. Now, we don't have the other two. Um, 1 Corinthians is probably actually the second letter, and 2 Corinthians is probably actually the fourth letter. And here he does something once again uh, that we see over and over. He uh, tells about something that went on with him in Ephesus. Now, I don't know if you remember, um, but oh, I mentioned to you all in 1 Corinthians that the Apostle Paul wrote 1 Corinthians from Ephesus. Um, and uh, that is not the case with 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is probably written from somewhere in Macedonia. So, uh, I... Um, you know what? Actually, I did. Um, Elijah, in the the worship bin, there are a couple of maps there. Yeah. And uh, so, based on how I have it set up right now, the people online are not going to be able to see this, but the folks here uh, in the room will be able to see this. You can put either one of those maps up, if you if you will. All right, and then uh, get rid of the text there that's doing the little advertising. Uh, all right. So if you guys look up at this map, um, and Elijah, if you go to default, it will, uh, for looks, it will show this map to everybody online. All right. So you can see way down here in, in Judea, in the lower right corner of the map, okay, the, the southeast corner of the map, um, this is this is where Paul lands. This is the second missionary journey, okay? And if you follow the red arrows up, you see Antioch up there, 
okay? This is still in this little green area that is Judea down at the bottom and Syria up there. But do you see Antioch up there, right? That's where they started with the first missionary journey, right, in, uh, in Antioch. So Paul then went overland and he went through these regions that he'd already started churches, right? And then he got over here into the, the region uh, of Asia. You see that right there. And you see how he skirts uh, over the top the, to the north of Asia and doesn't go in. That's on the second missionary journey. Um, it says plainly in uh, Acts that the Lord, the Holy Spirit, he, he said, the Apostle Paul said, the Holy Spirit prevented us from going into Asia at the time. Now, I think that this is significant because um, Asia ended up being a big deal. Now, this is what we would call Asia Minor, okay? Uh, but this is the province of, uh, of the Roman province of Asia. Um, it ended up being a very, very big deal. It was very uh, fruitful ministry for Paul when he did finally get there um, because he ministered from the city of Ephesus, which is what we were just talking about. So if you look down there uh, toward uh, the, the coast of Asia, okay, um, Elijah, see if that other map, which is the third missionary journey, if we're able to see that any better, okay? Um, so you, now that looks a little different, okay? You see Mysia up here. Now, this is the third missionary journey, all right? So uh, the arrows are different than they were on the first one. But um, you can see Lycia, Miletus, and then you see all of these cities that we recognize from Revelation. There's, uh, there's Philadelphia right there. But right below Philadelphia, there's a red arrow kind of going through it. Do you see Ephesus right there? Okay. It's really about the middle of this map. All right. If I had a laser pointer, <laughs> I could point it out to you. But if you look real carefully, it's right there in Asia. It's right on the coast. Ephesus right there. Right. And this is the Aegean Sea that is between Asia and what we would call Greece. Right. So you see when we go across the Aegean, there's uh, there's Achaia right uh, toward the bottom there. And then if you go up north, then you see Macedonia. OK. All right. So now you have in mind what I'm talking about uh, as I go through this. So we can go back to the text here, uh, Elijah. Um, so on the second missionary journey, the Apostle Paul went around Asia and he ended up receiving in a dream uh, a man calling from Macedonia, which if you just, you know, take a look at the map, he's up here on the north side. Go to the other map again, if you will, Elijah. Um, you see up there, there's Mysia, which is a region uh, in Asia. And you can see way up there, there's Troas. All right. So this is a, a coastal city right there. So the Apostle Paul goes from Troas and he goes across the Aegean and he ends up over in Macedonia and he starts the church in Philippi. Well, he saw in this dream a man from Macedonia. This would have been a Greek, 
Okay. Now we say Hellenistic culture, Greek culture. That doesn't mean that all of those who were um, a part of that culture were ethnically or uh, by nationality, what we would call today Greek, right? But these folks in Macedonia and Achaia, all the way over to the far left, the, the western side of the map, all right? That's where we go from Asia, and this is how the gospel made it over to Europe, okay? So <clears throat> what I want to do is uh, I want to go over to Acts, and I want to show you where the Apostle Paul uh, ended up in Ephesus. Now, it was on the third missionary journey. So that was after Paul had already started the church in Corinth. It was after he had already written the first two letters. Remember, the second letter he wrote is our first Corinthians. So Paul had already written um, these, uh, he'd already started the church at Corinth. I'm sorry, he may have written the first letter. The second letter was written from Ephesus, okay? But he traveled overland, and he finally ended up in Ephesus. And here's where, um, here's where the account of that is in Acts. This is Acts chapter 19. And I'm just going to read the whole account because, again, I want you to look at the map, and I want you to get the, the context in your mind, right, the map of Scripture. So when Paul talks about... Uh, how he had this affliction in Asia, I want you to understand what's going on. Right? Acts 19. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, We have not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, that is, Paul said to them, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in or into the name of the Lord Jesus. So this means they were baptized the way uh, everybody was baptized after Acts chapter 2. Okay? They were. Um, so there's a lot of times there's confusion here. People today uh, in certain. Uh, denominational circles, we'll talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, right? So the word just means to immerse. The scripture actually uses the term to be filled with the Spirit more often than it uses the term baptize. Most of the time when the scripture says baptize, it's referring to to being immersed in water. So here we're talking about these folks being baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They're being baptized in water, the way Jesus said to baptize, which in Matthew chapter um, 28, verses 19 and 20, he says that you're to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, so now they've been baptized in water in the name of Jesus, the way Jesus wanted them to be baptized. And then verse 6, and when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. Every time the gospel moved to a new region, this phenomenon of speaking in tongues, and we talked about that at length when we were in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14, okay, um, about this gift. It's not a gift that is given to everyone all the time, neither is it a gift that, is, that has died out. 
But every time the gospel reached a new region, that is exactly what happened. It was a sign of the presence of the Holy Spirit. They spoke in tongues and they prophesied. Now, when we think of prophesying or prophecy, we think of a sermon. We think of somebody preaching. But going all the way back to the Old Testament, there was an ecstatic element to prophecy that involved physical movement, right? It would probably be something that would make those of you here, maybe not all of you, uncomfortable if you saw someone who was in this ecstasy of being so filled with the spirit that they're just, they're crying out to God and they're raising their hands or they're falling on the ground and they're, you know, they're worshiping. And, (laughs) you know, it's like Lifewell has almost become like this Bible church and I'm no disparaging Bible churches because they're very biblically oriented and teach the word, but they're also very, very staid often, very, very quiet, very still, uh, very unexpressive, and it's almost like much of life has become like that. Um, I don't want to promote emotionalism here, but neither do I want you to just be the frozen chosen. <laughs> I'd, I'd really kind of like for you to let, you know, the Lord move. Amen. There you go. That's what we're talking about. <laughs> so what I'm saying is when the Holy Spirit came upon these 12 men, it was obvious that something had happened to them, Right. They were speaking in unknown tongues and they were acting out ecstatically. All right, verse 8. Then he, that is Paul, entered the synagogue and for three months, three months, spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Now, there's a couple of things here. First, that's where Paul always went. When he started a church in a new area, he always went to the synagogue. That's the always gave his own people, the Jewish people, the people that were the descendants of Abraham, the people through whom the Christ came, right? We talked about the blessing of Abraham on Sunday. The blessing of Abraham is Jesus. <laughs> that's, the ble- that's the seed, right? That's the reason for circumcision. That's why Paul didn't see any more reason for circumcision. The Messiah is here, right? That promise is fulfilled but we still are recipients of the blessing of Abraham because of Jesus. And that's what connects us to the olive tree, right, of God's promises. And if the Lord uh, continues leading the direction I think he's going to lead, we're going to look at those promises that God made to Abraham. And I'm going to show you how that extends to you if you have the faith of Abraham. And it's very significant because it says he will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. Now, you know, I'm stealing the thunder from Sunday if the Lord continues to lead me to do this. But I'm telling you, I've experienced this. Right? There are people that have been a blessing to me and they've been blessed. They haven't always recognized that. And there are people who have cursed this church and cursed me. And some of them are dead. I didn't wish that on anybody. But, you know, the scripture says, and this is in 1 Corinthians, and we've already been there, that if a person destroys the temple, the church, God will destroy them. You know, you may be in a church that's just not the greatest church in the world, or you may be in a church that, uh, you know, you think is the greatest church in the world, but you don't want to get into a position where you curse that church. You can... You know, tell the pet, tell me if you think there's some things that we need to adjust or 
there's ways that we can be more helpful to you, don't be afraid of coming and telling me. Here's what happens. People just get dissatisfied and they leave. I don't have time to adjust or change anything. If they tell me at all, it's already. They've already made the decision. So I can't do anything about it. So, you know, yeah. But the worst thing you can do is to stretch out your hand against the person of God or against his church. I didn't do this. I didn't go over this. Uh, this is a, a very, very clear teaching in the Old Testament. But um, I mentioned it in one of our teaching times on Sunday. But the people rose up against Moses and Aaron. Now, I didn't talk about what happened to them. But the ground opened up and swallowed them. Right? Aaron and Miriam, Moses' brother and sister, rose up against him, and Miriam turned leprous. Listen, I'm trying to extend this to you and help you to understand. If you got people that are cursing you online, at your job, whatever, again, I'm probably preaching Sunday early. <laughs> but you've got the blessing of Abraham. Those who bless you will be blessed, Right? Those who curse you will be cursed. You don't have to do anything. That's why, you know, it says, the Apostle Paul quotes, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. Your responsibility is to love your enemies. God will handle them. You don't have to get them back. Don't try to get them back. In fact, try to be kind to them. I just got finished reading another book by this same author that I mentioned last week, I think. Uh, his name is Creston Mapes. He's a Christian author. And uh, this story was set in Las Vegas, and it was about a homeless man that died. And it turned out that this homeless man that died was actually rich, and he'd been through a, a lot of trouble. He had lost his wife in an accident. And he was in a large church that he'd been helping, and that church had been helpful for him in his life. And he started understanding from the Lord and, you know, from his reading in the scripture that the, the church was really full of pride and that, uh, you know, there needed to be some, uh, some changes. So he went to the pastor who he's a friend of, and the reaction was very, very hostile and negative. Now, again, this is a novel, but I've experienced these kinds of things, right? Uh, I've been around ministers and ministries like this that are very, very, really idolatrous. It's like you're almost worshiping the pastor and worshiping the church. I don't want you to worship me. I, I, I don't want to. I want to be a shepherd, which is what God's called me to be. But I don't want to tell you how to live your life. I am teaching you the word of God, and that is telling you how to live your life. But I don't want to ride herd over you and tell you, no, no, you need to stop that. And you need to start. I don't want to do that. I, I, don't, I don't want that responsibility. What I found is in our culture, that doesn't work anyway. As I said, I believe I mentioned this last week, um, talking about church discipline. You can't even do church discipline anymore, right? It's just people just go to another church and nobody pays any attention, right? Um, but this, going back to the story, which you'll see how all this ties together in just a moment, um, this book by Kristen Mapes, um, this wealthy man ended up, he just chose to go to Vegas to try to help people. 
and he chose to live on the street and he was a giver and he just let the Lord work through him and the the pastor of the previous church and if you read the book I'm giving it I'm giving it away um, but the pastor of the previous church actually came to Las Vegas, tracked him down, and tried to get him to fulfill a pledge that he'd made in their church to help with their building fund. And he essentially was almost stealing money from this guy. Now, here's why I mentioned this. Um, this was, a, I thought, a good example in, uh, of loving your enemies and letting God deal you know, with them. Uh, this prideful pastor that was essentially threatening this man and telling him that he owed him money. That's what he was saying. Well, you know, the man went and withdrew the money and had a substantial amount of cash and he brought it uh, to this wicked pastor. And then that's how he ended up dying. There was an evil cop that ended up shooting him and stealing the money. And the pastor ended up running away and barely, you know, surviving. Well, the point is, although that's, you know, a tragedy from a story, the point is how this man was being treated and he didn't treat that person back in kind. He loved them. Love your enemies. That's your responsibility. God will get them back. You don't have to get anybody back. Amen? So it's important for us to listen to the word of God, pay attention to the word of God, and um, do what it says, right? So... Um, the Apostle Paul always gave his people the opportunity, as that is the Jewish people, the opportunity to receive the gospel first. He always went into the synagogue. Now, this is more unusual in that in Ephesus, he was in the synagogue for three months. Often, it was a week or two, and they would already opposition would rise up and they'd, they'd boot him. Right, But here it says, he spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God for three months. Verse 9. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples. So these are followers of Jesus now, uh, people that have chosen to follow Jesus, with him reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. So this would have been uh, a, a meeting place, a large meeting place there in Ephesus. Verse 10, this continued for two years He's, this is not Sunday church or Sunday Wednesday. This is daily for two years. Wow. And listen to this. This is how fruitful his ministry was there. It's one verse, but it really puts it in context. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. That's a stout statement. Asia was a huge and is a huge area. Right? It's where Turkey is today. Everybody in that region, right? So all of those churches that uh, Jesus speaks to through John in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, Ephesus being one of them, right? Uh, all of those are in Asia Minor. And they're, they're all in that area. Ephesus obviously is there. Col Colossae is there. Laodicea is there. So all of these people heard the word of the Lord. So this is what we're supposed to be doing, guys. Bring people to church. I would love it if you did. But you're supposed to be preaching the gospel. You're supposed to be sharing the gospel. 
You're supposed to be telling people about Jesus. Word of mouth, friends, stuff travels. You know, you talk, you talk today about videos that go viral. Have you seen the nonsense that goes viral? I don't get it. So there's, there's sometimes there's a line on YouTube when I'm watching it and it says trending. And I seldom watch those videos, but I'll, you know, scroll. And I just think, what? Why? And some of them are not bad. They're just nonsense. You know, somebody who's making comments on a video game or something. You know, uh, just s silly shenanigans. And sometimes it's, you know, I'm sure that uh, I don't get everything that's trending because there's an algorithm that looks at what you look at and it would know that I would be disgusted by some of the things that are trending. But the point is, the gospel is what needs to go viral. Amen? Right? Verse 11. This is where you see there's demonic activity in this region. And this is why God wanted everything to be ready before Paul brought the gospel here. Like I said, first missionary journey, nope, didn't make it all the way that far. Second missionary journey skirted around Asia, brought the gospel over to what we call Europe today, uh, Macedonia, and then down to Achaia, right in that Greek region. Now, third missionary journey, now they're in Asia. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant, that means they traveled around, Jewish exorcists, that means they tried to cast out demons, undertook to invoke, that means to speak the name of Jesus, the Lord Jesus, over those who had evil spirits, saying... I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. So like, they were like, this is like a magic wand, magic words. If I say the magic words, and some people understand the name of Jesus or the blood of Jesus like that. If you just say that, then the devil's going to run away. No, he's not. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't have the authority of Jesus, you can't just use his name. That's called using his name in vain. Watch what happens. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize. But who are you? They didn't know Jesus. They didn't have a relationship. They didn't have the authority of Jesus. Who are you? Verse 16. And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them. Remember, there's seven brothers here. One guy, right? It's like Jason Stratham in some movie, right? Versus the, you know who Jason Stratham is? He's been in a bunch of movies. He's like a karate guy. He's a Brit. He's, he's always like got his hair, hair shaved. He's in the Transporter series like where he's taking people in this car. You don't know any of those movies, all right. You're not action movie. You're not action movie fans. I get it. Anyway, Jason, Jason Stratham is always in these movies where he's fighting like multiple people. But he's like, he's a legit um, martial artist. His karate's good. It's legit. I, I watch a lot of times and I see people that are terrible. He's legit. But he's always fighting multiple people. Well, 
<laughs> this guy was just demon possessed. <laughs> he wasn't a karateka. He was just demon possessed. And he over, overcame, mastered all seven of these brothers. He overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. The dude ripped their clothes off. Dude, the devil's disgusting, man. He's just totally disturbing. Verse 17. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. See, once again, viral. Isn't it interesting? They didn't have the internet. They didn't have a printing press. Most of them didn't even write or read. And yet the word got out. Don't tell me you can't tell people about Jesus. Can't means won't. That's what it means. All you got to do is let Jesus work in your life and then tell other people what he's doing. You don't have to have some magic formula or magic words. You just need to tell people, Jesus is real. Jesus is in my life. And I would really love for you to have Jesus in your life. Just that simple. And let the Holy Spirit do the convicting. Their response is not your responsibility. Amen? All right? So, verse 18. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So this is thousands and thousands of dollars in, in books. Basically, books that would be like the equivalent of books on witchcraft. I had a lady one time in our ministry. Um, it's when we were doing House of Judgment. Uh, she was very talented. Uh, she was actually a very talented painter. We did a show that year that uh, had a character who was supposed to be painting his own uh, portrait, a self-portrait. So I had this lady paint a portrait. Had, the way House of Judgment worked is you, you had teams of actors. So one part would be played by six or seven or eight actors. So I believe that year this character was played by seven or eight different young men. She painted pictures of all of them, and buddy, they were amazing. Like, you'd go, I just, you know, and she just looked at them. She didn't have them sit or anything like that. She just looked at them, okay, and painted their portrait. Wow. So every time an audience would come through, I'd have the portrait of that actor sitting in front of him, and then he'd turn it around so the audience could see him. Wow. Well, she had been into witchcraft in her past, and she was, I don't know. I don't know. When you're a pastor, when you're a preacher, even when you're a strong Christian, people can often want you to like them so much that they don't really let you know that they don't really believe as much as they're leading you to think they believe, right? You don't know. I don't know your heart. Obviously, if you're online, I don't know your heart. <laughs> I don't even know who you are. Uh, I might if you, if you comment. But the point is, you, you, don't, you don't know anybody's heart, right? And so I don't know. I don't know what her you know, legitimate profession was. But she was like these people in Ephesus. She brought me a box full of these witchcraft books. I mean, a box full of them. Some wicked stuff, man. Well, I didn't know what to do with it. I, you know, I thought, well, maybe it'd be good for research someday or whatever. So I kept the box 
but I just, every time I would even think about even opening one of them, I just couldn't do it. So I eventually, I didn't burn them, I threw them away. Um, but the point is, these people were convicted. I think she was convicted. I don't want to have anything to do with this anymore. And so they got rid of them. So the Lord, excuse me, verse 20. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Now, that was the setup. Two years of incredibly fruitful ministry. Now, when you are successful in the kingdom, when you are fruitful, the devil is going to come up against you. And especially here, where these people who were his servants were giving up being his servants, the devil's jealous and angry. So he stirs some people up. And guess what? It ended up being about money. Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia. You already saw the map, so you know where that is. It's on the other side of the Aegean in Europe. And go to Jerusalem saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. So this, these were his plans. After having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. So he stays in Asia longer. He's planning to leave Ephesus now. It looks like this ministry is just incredibly successful. So he's, he's setting the stage so he can go back over into Macedonia. So he's going to visit Philippi again, we're assuming. He's going to visit Thessalonica again. These are both in Macedonia. And he's going to visit Corinth. And we know that because he's already told us that that is his plan in these Corinthian letters. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men... You know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. Well, duh, they're not. But they're the ones that were making the idols, and they made a lot of money off of it. Okay? Verse 27. And there is danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis. Now, they had a huge temple of Artemis there in Ephesus. It was one of the wonders of the ancient world. Okay. And they had this myth that that's where Artemis came down, right? This Greek goddess of wisdom, Artemis. Um, but that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all of Asia and the world worship. Verse 28. They heard this, excuse me, when they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So this is part of their identity, right? And it is a source of, great income for uh, Demetrius and these, uh, these metal workers, okay? But this is, this is part of the, the identification of the people of Ephesus. Verse 29, so the city was filled with the, conf- with, with the confusion of them screaming, greatest Artemis of the Ephesians. Everybody's looking around. They don't know why this is happening. It'd be like if there's a riot all of a sudden, Okay. 
So you guys remember the protests two years ago? Remember all that? In the wake of the George Floyd killing? It's like, so there were protests everywhere. Okay, fine. But um, there were also a lot of vandalism, looting, burning. I, I don't see a commission that's investigating any of that. In fact, they really weren't doing a whole lot to stop it. It's kind of like what's going on now with Supreme Court justices. They make a decision that the left doesn't like, and so they're continuously harassing them. They're in front of their houses. It's fine to protest, but how would you like it if people were screaming outside of your home every day because they don't like you? Well, this is, this is it. People just get screamed. So if you look outside your window and you're like, what are all these people screaming about? Right? There was uh, one of those protests. Now, I knew it was coming, and I heard they were marching, and, you know, I knew where they were coming from. And so, you know, I got outside this, this church. I thought, you know what? I don't want anybody throwing a brick through our window or a Molotov cocktail. And so I came out, and they were, they were, they were really peaceful, honestly. They were peaceful, and they were over there on the square. In fact, Pastor Craig and his daughter... Uh, joined them over there because obviously we don't want, you know, police killing unarmed people, whether they're black or otherwise. <clears throat> Nonetheless, if I hadn't known that and I just saw this huge group of people out there, I'd be like, well, what are they doing out there? Because they were chanting, right? It was, it was not the type of thing that I would join. Mindless chanting. I don't think that changes anything. And I think mobs are apt to do some very, very bad things, okay? Well, that's what we have here. It's a mob, and they're chanting and screaming. The city was filled with the confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, who were Paul's companions in travel. They're in Asia, on this side, on the, uh, the east side of the Aegean, but you've got two of these Macedonians from what is today Europe, the west side of the Aegean, who are with Paul, assume, uh, presume, presumably because Paul is fixing to go to Macedonia. So they've joined him in Asia and they're going to go back over with him. Verse 30. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, these are the, the leaders uh, in this region of Asia, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. See, Paul is just as bold as brass. He don't care. But they're like, no, you're going to get killed if you go into the theater. Right? Now, later, the apostle, they, they did. Some of these same people from Asia tried to literally rip Paul limb from limb. I do mean literally rip him limb from limb in Jerusalem in the temple. Right? Now, I'm not saying the same identical people, but these were also people from um, Asia. The Apostle Paul says that later in Acts. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. They continued to chant this for two solid hours. <laughs> Gracious me, calm down, right? And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there that does not know that the city of 
the Ephesians, is temple and keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky. That is, this is part of their myth. Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore, now I want you to notice that. Paul was not saying, you see that temple up there? That's idolatry. And y'all are wrong and evil for worshiping Artemis. That's not what he did. Why are we called life well? Because we're here to show that when you follow Jesus, you live a better life. And then all these other things that you find yourself enamored with will seem pale by comparison, right? When you follow Jesus, who's the light of the world, that light shines on the sinful practices of your life, and you want to repent and turn away from them if you're really following Jesus. The people that came to follow Jesus didn't have to be told that Artemis was a false god or goddess, as the case may be. So as a result... Paul and his companions could not be accused of blaspheming Artemis. They didn't even talk about Artemis. I'm just wondering, right? Do we need to be right? You know, we're, we're Christians, and so we've, we need to be right on certain issues. Or do we just want people to follow Jesus and have a better life, right? Why am I pro-life? I'm not anti-abortion, I'm pro-life. Because I want people to live. I want preborn people to live. I, you know, I want us to support women who are, are in a position where they, they have a pregnancy and they don't believe that they can or, or are willing either way to support that child. Then, then we ought to be willing and making every effort to helping them to find a way to carry the baby to term and then adopt it out because there are a lot of families that can't have children and they want to adopt babies. We should be accepting, we should be loving, we should be kind, right? Now I'm using this as an example because it's a hot button issue right now and people are dividing. Well, I'm not going to come off it. Abortion is wrong, period. And you say, well, what about this case and this case and this case? I'm not talking about special cases, right? So there was this uh, situation that was recently uh, purportedly raised about a 10-year-old girl that got pregnant in Ohio, I think it was, and they wouldn't let her get an abortion. It's nonsense. It was a lie. The law said that if that were to have happened, she could have had an abortion. See, this is, this is what happens, we just paint each other black and white and hate each other. And that's not what we should be doing. So, you know, I talked on Mother's Day. I knew this was coming because, they, and it's interesting to me that they still haven't found the person who illegally leaked the draft decision uh, that Alito wrote on Roe versus Wade, Justice Alito. But um, on Mother's Day, I focused on life. I didn't say abortion is bad, abortion is evil. Women who have had abortion should be ashamed of themselves. You didn't even say anything remotely resembling that. What I said is that women have been given the privilege of bringing life into the world. Eve means mother of the living. Women are those who are about life. That's who you are. That's what you are. That's your heritage, right? That's what I want you to see. I want you to see the positive side. So... Is Artemis a false goddess? Of course. 
But Paul didn't even, he didn't feel compelled to say that. That's not what he was being accused of. What was happening was nobody wanted to buy these little trinkets anymore. Nobody wanted to buy these little, you know, uh, silver temples, probably. Uh, they, they were probably models of that huge temple or models of Artemis, which were kind of disturbing, by the way. I'll let you look that up. Um, he says, seeing that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemous of our God. As if therefore Demetrius, this is the ringleader, right? The, the metalsmith and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone. The courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you see, if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today. And the, uh, you know, Rome would just send the army in to stop a riot. <laughs> you know, in our day, if the riot is about a cause that the left likes, police don't even bother. Okay? Well, there's a, a, a negative history in this country of breaking up riots and really doing harm to people. So the police are in a very precarious position when it concerns these, uh, these matters. But nonetheless, the Romans, I mean... They didn't broker any compromise. They just sent the army in, and people died by the hundreds, maybe the thousands. And that stopped the riot because pretty much everybody that was rioting was dead. So he's, you know, this town clerk is like, you guys need to chill, or there's going to be some people that are going to be dead. Verse 40, for we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today since there's no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said this, these things, he dismissed the assembly. All right, let's go back to our text in 2 Corinthians. Boy, that was a long introduction, so long that I'm going to have to do this, <laughs> these verses next week. But now you have it set. What is he talking about? Verse 8, 2 Corinthians 1, 8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. So apparently, what we read in Acts was a lot more dangerous and more violent than even the language in Acts indicates. Okay? He said, the affliction we experienced in Asia it so utterly burdened us beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Um, so I think that he's speaking of uh, the, the aftermath of this, of this riot and what was going on there. The Greek word that is translated affliction here, the affliction we experienced in Asia, is the word thlipsis, which may refer to suffering due to either internal or external causes. So Paul may have been afraid that there was, you know, going to be death, mayhem, uh, that, you know, they were going to try to stop the church. Um, there was martyrdom on occasion early on, but the church really got persecuted. And there were a lot of martyrs in Rome uh, after the apostle Paul was executed in Rome so under Nero, in the city of Rome, there was a huge persecution. And then there were sp sporadic persecutions against Christians that resulted in martyrdom throughout 
the history, the early history of the church, all the way up until Constantine became emperor. So in Revelation, we hear about the great tribulation. Well, the word that is translated tribulation is this word, glypsis. It means, the literal sense of the word means to press, press, <laughs> press or squash. I put them together and I said press. So that means to press and squash. It's so you can press. So my question is, have you been pressed? Have you felt pressed, pressured, squashed, right? Um, yeah. So although Paul could be describing suffering from an illness he had, and he did have that on occasion, it's more likely that he is referring to this persecution that uh, we just read about. Um, Ephesus was the principal city economically and politically in the Roman senatorial province of Asia. Now, we've already seen, <clears throat> Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians that he wrote that from Ephesus. And in 1 Corinthians, he informed the Corinthians that he, quote, fought with wild beasts at Ephesus. That's 1 Corinthians 15.32. So this is likely, as I said when we were in 1 Corinthians 15, not actual wild beasts, although that did happen later in history where Christians were thrown out and uh, allowed to be devoured by lions or other wild beasts. And there was a, uh, an auditorium there in Ephesus. Um, there was a three-tiered auditorium in the city, 165 yards in diameter, which seated 24 to 25,000 people. Wow. Well, uh, Acts 19 is what we just read that gives us this account. This affliction was overwhelming to Paul. In fact, the distress he and presumably his companions felt caused them to believe that they might be martyred. I really do think that that's the case. That's why he said we felt we had the sentence of death. They thought they were going to die. Whatever happened, Paul couldn't handle it anymore. Have you ever gotten to that point? This is the apostle Paul, man. And he said, I felt like I couldn't handle it. And we talk about, you know, several of us dealing with high, high blood pressure. We need to pray for uh, our, our member, Sue. She's staying home and chilling on the couch tonight because her blood pressure is up. I gave her a blood pressure cuff so she could uh, monitor it regularly. And she said her blood pressure is up, so she's staying home and chilling. Listen, stress when you're pressed, right? Yeah. Pressure and squash. It can cause your, and especially those of us that are older, it can cause your heart rate to go up, 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 up. And you start feeling it in your head. That's dangerous, friends. This, you feel it up here? You're, they, you're, that's stroke city right there. Man, we all need to learn to let the Holy Spirit calm us down. Stop freaking out. It's not going to change anything. Worrying will not change anything. So if you just reason with yourself and say, why am I doing this? It won't change anything. But prayer moves the hand of God who changes everything. So if you're a warrior, become a prayer warrior. If you're under pressure, cry out to the Lord, right? If you're under pressure, push, pray until something happens. Amen. He says, that is the Apostle Paul says, that what happened to them in Ephesus, because, you know, you could easily say, 
wow, Lord, you know, you gave us so much success here. Everybody in Asia heard the word, and now you're letting this happen. Why is this happening? Again, these novels that I've been reading by Creston Mapes, this is kind of a, a theme that he brings out in a number of characters. And in the novel that I just related to you about the homeless man who was actually rich that got killed, the main character in that novel is a journalist who writes for uh, a Las Vegas newspaper. And <clears throat> um, he meets a young lady who's a Christian, and he's constantly pushing back against that. Uh, you know, uh, well, yeah, but look at this that happened in my life. Look at all these bad things that I, listen, if you focus on the bad things that happen in life, okay, if you use that as an excuse not to come to the Lord, then you're not going to get the comfort and the power that the Lord provides. Listen, people ask me all the time, why, why, why? My simple answer is what I've considered to, you know, to make the title of the book that I've been working on forever. This ain't heaven reconcile yourself to that reality. This is a fallen world. You're not in heaven. This is not the final state. This is not the only state. You're down here in a battleground, friend. Right? You're in a fallen world. Satan is called the prince of the power of the air. The god of this world, little g. And people are following him and listening to him and buying into his lies. And if you're not careful, you may be buying into some of his lies too. And we bring a lot of stuff on ourselves. And the people that we love can bring stuff on us as well. Right? But this ain't heaven. Stop yourself from crying out and shaking your bony fist at God and saying, why did you do this to me? With the Lord Jesus, we should pray in the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation. That word for temptation can also mean trial. Lord, don't lead me into situations that are jackpot situations. Keep me out of trial and out of trouble. Remember, I used to talk to Vernon a lot when he was still with us. And uh, the Lord had his hand on Vernon his whole life. He just kept that sweet old man out of trouble. He just, I, I look at, you know, some of the disasters that people go through today and, you know, Vernon would just, no, he didn't go through any of that because he followed Jesus. Was he a perfect follower? No, no. Did he have just more faith than you? Probably not, but he did what was right. Okay. You don't listen. Your life doesn't have to be a rolling disaster. It really doesn't. You don't have to be driving your car 100 miles an hour with the wheels falling off every day. It really doesn't have to be that way. God wants to bless us. But that doesn't mean there won't be trouble at times. There will be trouble at times. But notice what the purpose of that is. And I won't go into it any further this week. We'll hit it next week. That was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Amen? Trouble is an opportunity for you to trust God. The protests, the pandemic, the politics. You just find yourself freaking out about all of it, right? No. Okay, and now, you know, more 
protests and problems. You're ne- we're, listen, we're never going to escape that. And in the era of social media and a worldwide, you know, global internet, you hear about everything. Okay, if a cat dies, you know, on the other side of the world, then, you know, there's a video about it. Well, it's horrible. Okay, I get it. But I'm sorry. I'm not going to be mean. But I don't care. You can't care about everything. You just can't. There's deaths and suffering every day, everywhere, and I can't do anything about it except pray. I pray and give it over to the Lord. You know who I focus on? You. I focus on praying for your protection. And when people leave, I can't focus on them anymore. I can't keep focusing on people. If you leave, you're going to some other church, and they're going to focus on you. Praise God. I can only focus on you, and I will believe for you. I'm not going to keep screaming and crying out and whatever. I'm just going to pray and believe for you, and I've seen the Lord work. I've seen sick people healed. I've seen dead people on their deathbed that are raised up. I've seen people's finances blessed. Do we take credit for this? Do you hear me saying it all the time? No. But the Lord has been working in this church for 23 years now, and he's going to keep working until he calls me home or, you know, does whatever he wants to do. Okay? So this ain't heaven. This is a fallen world. But that doesn't mean you have to live like hell or live in purgatory. I think you can live in safety and security and peace. But realize that when trouble comes into your life, it is an opportunity to trust God. That was to make us rely not on ourselves. See, we want to be in control. I want to be in control. But so often I'm not. Right? Issues with your health are like that. Like, you know, there's things you can control. You know, you can eat better and, you know, exercise and all these sorts of things. But, I mean, I got to reconcile myself to the reality. I'm getting older and my body's just going to decide to push back. And I can't do everything that I once did. Right? We can't all, you know, be Olympic athletes all the time. Olympic athletes can't even be Olympic athletes all the time. Right? But we can trust the Lord. In every circumstance, in every situation, and that will give us peace, and he will provide for us, and he will protect us. Amen? Amen? All right. More on this next week. Thank you for joining us online. We appreciate it.